The room is relationships. The room is you and me and everyone in America. What are you talking about? The room is different cookie cutter、mm. from Hollywood. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. What's going on? Welcome to the Room Minute, the podcast where we get obsessed with the cinematic classic, The Room, one minute at a time. You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you? Why are you so hysterical? We always wanted people actually talk about it. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh hi, Mark. Oh hi, listeners. We're here to talk about minute nineteen, in which sex on the stairs continues. <laughs> I hear laughter. Yeah, that would be me. Oh hi, Walt. Hey, what's going on, Robert? <laughs> I'm here to talk about sex on the stairs again. Well, it is a it, it is a popular topic, isn't it?、Um, yeah, <laughs> kind of kind of the relevant topic of the day. Imagine here a long, weird conversation in which we have audio troubles because this episode was recorded the same day we finally got around to recording minute three. They cursed minutes one through three. Originally, it was hard to follow, and even trying to edit it and make it into something that was listenable was impossible. So, I'm gonna spare you. We're gonna move on. So, sex on the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, Walt, have you seen this movie?、Uh, yes, I have.、Um, okay. I, I, okay, I saw it.、Uh, what, what year did it come out? Like 1990?、Uh, no, 2004. 2004. Okay, so I I know I saw it sometime right around the time it came out because one of my friends was like, "You really have to see it,"、mm. and、um, you know it's almost like the "Hey, this smells awful," you know, give it a smell. Yeah. And I borrowed、um, I borrowed a copy of it from him, and it it probably took me four sittings to get through it. <laughs>、uh, it was just so bad. I, I know I fell asleep one time、uh, when I was watching it, so I got about. Twenty、uh, minutes in, then I had to go back and rewind, figure out where I was, and it, I just remember it, you know, being exactly what everybody says it is—just a terrible movie. And then I, I saw it again somewhere along the line. Another friend of mine wanted to see it, and we、um, got to this scene today. I had kind of forgotten about one part of it, which I'll mention <laughs> later. And、uh, we were both, you know, kind of uncomfortable, like, "What's going on here?"、Um, <laughs> And then I actually watched it again last night. So I, I I hate to say this, but I've seen this movie three times now. Okay, and um, it, it doesn't get better. Now the the room was essentially a birthday gift to me from CinemaSins because 2013 CinemaSins posted on my birthday everything wrong with the room. Up until that point, I had no idea what the room was. I thought it was a horror film because I'd seen the billboards around Hollywood. You know, and it's just the big green tinted. Tommy was so face. That there were billboards for this. Yeah, he had. I believe it was two billboards that he kept up for years. Like he paid to keep them up. So he actually did that in Hollywood. That wasn't like a, a studio going out and doing ads for this. Oh no, there was no studio. <laughs> I was gonna say, I I can't imagine. How did he afford to keep billboards up in Hollywood? He had money. He spent six million dollars on this movie、What? of his own money. Yeah, I could produce this for fourteen dollars. Right. He bought the equipment instead of renting it, as you normally would do, including two different cameras. So they actually filmed it on film and video at the same time. 
They had the cameras on a rig attached to each other, which is why there's a lot of shots that are out of focus is because it's hard to focus when you have two different cameras pointing at the scene. I just assume the cameraman fell asleep or... No, I mean, a couple of them got fired because the cameraman tended to have fights with Tommy, but I don't know. Wow, okay. <laughs> that is a lot of money for this movie. Yes, yes. Yeah, if you, if you watch the movie The Disaster Artist, they make a whole point of that scene where he goes into Burns and Sawyer and they're like talking about, like, you might want to rent this, rent this. Like, I'm not going to rent it. I'm like, this is a proper Hollywood fee- uh, like production. He buys everything outright and they're like, uh, okay. I don't, so they, they don't even. They got a crew of theirs onto the production as part of the deal. So he also paid a bunch of them to work for him. And I noticed this guy in this scene, um, Harry something, whatever this guy's name is. Greg Sestero. Yeah. Now, he was also one of the producers, right? He has a producer credit, yeah. He's also listed as being in charge of uh, casting and something else. He gets a couple credits. I don't know how much I'd want my name associated with this movie. (laughs) At the time, he and Tommy were friends, and they were both struggling actors. Uh, The biggest thing Greg had done is Retro Puppet Master, a full moon horror film. And, I mean, he was the lead, but... It wasn't a very big movie. And sorry to ask some of these basic questions that I should probably know the answer to and that y'all may have already covered. Was this released in a... uh, This was a cinematic release, right? Yes. How many screens around the country? I mean, it it wasn't... I mean, it was like maybe three. It it would have been more the hard scene. I believe originally it was one, actually. A theater that he bought, I I guess, with the way he does things. There are a few theaters in Hollywood, well, any theater you can pay to have a screening, but there are a few where you can pay to, like, put your movie in the theater for a certain amount of time. The movie Zizek's Road, which isn't as bad as a lot of people say, famously paid for a theater in, I think, Texas for two weeks because in order to qualify for any awards or anything like that, you have to be in theaters for a certain amount of time. Oh, right. Okay. The movie made $24. Zizek's Road did like, they literally sold three tickets in those two weeks. Like, no one knew what the movie was. No one cared. That's insane. This one was out for a while, and he kept it in theaters. And then it has continued to do, like, the midnight screenings, which I'll talk about later. The one in L.A., over in Westwood, does a screening at midnight on Saturday, once a month. And if Tommy's in town and is going to be at screenings, they'll do an extra one on Friday. How many people go to these? The first one I went to was sold out. Because Tommy was there. It was a full theater. Uh, it's a pretty big theater because it's a place that remained one screen when a lot of things turned to multiplexes in the 90s. So it's several hundred to a thousand. I don't think it's as big as a thousand. It's definitely several hundred. I may still guess in another episode. I don't remember. But the official capacity of the Landmark Regent in Westwood is 1,100. And they sell pretty well every month. Has this kind of taken on... I mean, you know, I'm aware of it because I, I do like bad movies. I I, I kind of, and my kids have followed in my footsteps there. We'll sit down and watch just terrible movies. And mm-hmm. a movie I'll talk about later in the week, one of my daughters sat and watched w- with me last night, and we were laughing and talking about it and making fun of it and stuff. But this doesn't even, to me, get in that category, that it's not a good bad movie. This is just a bad movie, but it seems to have taken on kind of a cult following. I think because it was in Hollywood. It got the right audience of college students who would go out drinking to watch something late at night like it used to be uh, the midnight screenings of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, Right. I've seen Rocky Horror a few times. Yeah. And that audience, but also like film students who like now it's like this hipster, like ironic thing to like bad things. 
I mean, bad movies are entertaining in their own way, but yeah, you can also like them to sort of laugh at how bad they are in your head. Right. The Room is different from a lot, though, in that plot-wise, like, what's going on in it is a fairly normal plot line that you might see in any movie, but it's just put together in such a bizarre fashion that it comes across wrong. And to me, the the acting is funky and odd and annoying at times. The direction seems off. It, it really almost has that feel like nobody knew what they were doing when they got there that day. Imagine more conversation. You should know, because I think I've cut out every mention to it. Allison was still having the old connection problems from way back when, because of when this was recorded. We also had another guest, who you will hear next minute, Curtis, who for some reason couldn't connect the entire time we were trying to do this one. And they kept popping in and popping out. We'd see them think it was going to work, start talking to them, and then they wouldn't be there. And so our conversation got interrupted over and over and over. I hope what's left makes sense. <laughs> so... In this minute, we've already mentioned it, but yeah, the, this is uh, Lisa and Mark on the stairs having sex. Now, last minute, we already talked about movies with sex scenes on stairs. But if you know of any, Walt, that we didn't get, we had a, a History of Violence, Thomas Crown Affair, and Go. That's the only three I could remember. Uh, Thomas Crown Affair was the only one I could think of. I, I, I can't really think of any others. We all did pretty good uh, to get those. Well, when we had the earlier sex scene in the bed, there was a whole list of movies with sex scenes that, you know, good sex scenes that serve the plot and ones that don't. Talking about this, what sex scenes do. And now I said this, I think when we weren't recording, my notes column for this minute has nothing in it. Yeah, I've got a few notes. Okay. What do you got for us? Well, the first thing I was going to mention is how bad the music is. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Kitcher William Jeremiah Rose is a classic. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, I, I guess, yeah. but I, I think that even if it is a good song, it oh, it's not does not this. I said it's a classic. I didn't say it's good. <laughs> it's a classic piece of garbage, which may be why they yeah. used it here, but it, it like. It doesn't help this scene, and I would think that it, like, it wouldn't be a song that you'd want playing while you were having sex. It just is distracting and annoying. Do you think it's on in the scene? At this point, we switched recording locations online. As you will see, it didn't quite fix the problem just yet. Everything's gonna be fine. In the meantime, enjoy this. Thank you. 
That's the idea. We are where we yeah. are. We can hear you, yes. Now it's working. Yeah. Who are you talking to? <laughs> so... Just in case something got missed in between switching from one recording to another, listeners, our guest Walt had the audacity to say that Kitra Williams' You're My Rose is a bad song, and he also suggested that Sex on the Stairs is a bad idea. I think you're all caught up. Yeah, that was kind of the uh, the summary of, of what I've had to say so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think you're asking for injuries and other problems with... <laughs> Well, the the railing is dented, so something may have happened. At some yeah, point. I did notice that, and I, I didn't go back and uh, and look to see if you could tell earlier earlier on in the movie if it was dented before or if they managed to dent it themselves. I don't think it's dented in the scene where we see Denny go to the stairs earlier, but it is definitely dented as soon as they get to the stairs in this scene. Well, let me ask you a question. At at second nine, she has kind of a a look of. Ecstasy, I guess, is the best word. And then in second 13, it's like he flies in from the side. <laughs> so what? what's going on? <laughs> what, what is that? Like, he wasn't even there, and she's all happy, and then he lands on her. Yeah, yeah. That's how the stairs go. <laughs> it's just a weird thing. This whole thing's weird. I think this that kind of it just adds to this whole awkwardness and weirdness of this scene to me. Mm-hmm. And you know, both of them already seem a, a, like they, I don't know. To me, it just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of chemistry there. And I I get the feeling that they're acting. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And instead of it feeling like a natural, you know, good scene between two good actors who convince you that they like each other. You definitely get the feeling that they're acting. Yeah, I, I, one thing I haven't been able to figure out about this scene in relation to the other sex scenes is when this one was filmed. Like, if it was filmed fairly early in the production, mm. because she wasn't originally cast as Lisa, they had someone else cast as Lisa. Oh. And then she took over, and I'm wondering if maybe this was one of the first things Juliet and Greg filmed together. And so that's why it comes across a little weird, like they aren't comfortable being in the same scene yet. As opposed to, though they're awful sex scenes, the bed scenes between her and Tommy, you do get the idea that these people have been near each other before. Yeah, they've got some history and... Because that was some of the last stuff filmed. Yeah, makes sense. But Greg doesn't talk about this scene in his book. Oh, he doesn't. In the filming of it. No. 
I think he mentions it in passing, but he doesn't give details. So I had never figured out where it fits in the production order. Well, also the way it, it shot to me, and I'm definitely not an expert on, on this, but there are a couple of places where they're kissing and one of the rails is right across their lips. Mm-hmm. So you can't, it's like that should be the focus of the action and you can't see it because there's a metal rail right between them. Well, keep in mind there's two cameras, so it depends on which one the camera operator is looking at at the time. Oh, that's true. So one of the cameras may have caught it and the other one didn't. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. It's like the, the the camera operators haven't talked much about their experience on this movie that I know of. And so it'd be interesting to think, how did they approach using two cameras? Did they always just focus, pun intended, I guess, on one and ignore the other, or did they try to use both? I wonder how much of it, too, is that is they might have looked at it and by this point gone, you know what, this is a, sh- a shipwreck, yeah, and we're just going to do our best to get through it. That's how a lot of it was. They knew they were getting paid, and so the crew, especially the actors, probably were more frustrated because they're trying to be on screen and be noticed. But the crew were just like, this is a paycheck, we're going to just do what we have to do to keep up. Until eventually it got too much. That's why there were multiple director of photography. They had three? So they, they had three directors of photography? I believe it was three. Oh, I know Todd Barron was the third, and that's what I was looking up for the scene we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, was Todd Barron. He was the, oh yeah, that was the end of production. So yeah, there were three. And were they all working at the same time, or these no, one no. left, one? It was one left, one left, one, yeah. They, one, I believe the first one quit, second one was fired, and third one made it to the end, but as you'll see in a couple episodes, did have a problem with Tommy on the last day of regular production. Yeah, I would imagine they had trouble with him throughout. Yeah, he tended to want things that weren't possible. I have some details on that when we get to the next scene. But there aren't many details about this scene, because as I said, Greg doesn't talk about it, and Sandy Chaclair, who wrote Yes, I Directed the Room, doesn't talk about this scene. He talks about the other sex scenes. Huh, okay. Yeah, it would be interesting to find out when this when this was shot. The other thing with it is the ADR is bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and when I say bad, it is some of the worst ADR of any movie I've ever seen. The voices over the music, over the horrible chemistry, the the moans, and, and then you have the loud breathing that's almost like... <laughs> you hear from me too many times on podcasts where I take a deep <laughs> breath to say some long sentence. Yeah. And, and then right at the end of the minute, this big slurping kiss <laughs> that sounds like she's down in a, a 64 ounce Coke. And it, I mean, it is terrible and it's so distracting. Yes. My notes say noises yeah. and making yeah. out. <laughs> Yeah. Can you guys hear me? And they don't always, they aren't always timed right either. Yes. Okay. Hello, Alice. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back. Something really wrong is going on. Sorry, folks. It won't happen again. No, it, it is not timed right at, at all. I mean, it, it's, it, and I, I kind of wonder too, you know, now that you say that, you got me thinking, I wonder if this was one of the last things shot. Or one of the last things edited, and they're just like, screw it, just get it done and, and be over with. It wouldn't have been one of the last things edited, because it was mostly edited in order. Oh, okay. Um, so they have no excuse. They right. Just as for shooting, I think it actually would have been a lot earlier, because they saved the sex scenes with nudity 
and with Tommy for the end. And that was on purpose because Sandy Shaclair ends up quitting right before they're supposed to film those. Oh, my God. Like he didn't want to be responsible for those. Well, and doesn't this guy shave his beard at some point? Yes. So it would have had to have been in the bearded section. Yeah. So what I, I was, uh, so I would assume that would be earlier on. Um, yeah. Um, but it's also kind of distracting when you fall asleep in the movie and then wake back up <laughs> and you're trying to kind of figure things out and the guy doesn't have a beard. <laughs> and I can tell you from experience that that is confusing because that happened to me last <laughs> night. <laughs> you're like, did I miss the big beard shaving scene? <laughs> Which may have been more fascinating than anything else in the year. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, this is, you know, I, I, I said before before we started, I, I do tend to be a little bit of a prude. Not really a prude, I, I guess, but I tend to be a little less into these kinds of scenes. But when it, when I watch this scene after you... When you told me what minutes we were going to do, at first I was like, oh, well, this should be great. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know, there's a lot to talk about here because this is a really terrible scene. <laughs> and then when you start breaking it down and then you have the part of where is her hand going? Like the whole thing is just awkward and weird. It's almost like the first time you made out and you just didn't know what you were doing. So maybe it's perfect then because this is the first time that Mark and Lisa have made out. Not in their lives, though. With each other. (laughs) Right, exactly. That's a good point. (laughs) That is exactly right. Well, maybe it is, Allison. (laughs) Maybe they're both so clunky and awkward that they made it to, well, 25 without making out. We talked about how young Lisa may have been when she got together with Tommy. Maybe she's only ever been with Tommy, and we've already seen how weird that is. So, eh. Well, know. you know, that that's not a bad point because, yeah, I mean, she seems like she's, you know, I mean, she's probably not that old here. No, she's 20, she's 21. Wow. And they've been together for either five or seven years, so. Ruined her career at 21. Yeah, I would imagine that every time she went in to try to get a job anywhere from then on, it was like, oh, you were in the room. Sorry. Yep. Branded by the room at 21. Yeah. That's brutal. Brutal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's brutal to watch, brutal to be a part of. But these people all claim it really well, you know? Yeah. Most of the actors involved in the movie have got together and made like these sort of fake where are they now episodes about how their lives are going. And they're, they're pretty funny. Okay, so I saw that on IMDb for several people, and I was wondering if that was more of a parody, or not a parody, but more of a... It's um, it's a joke, yeah. It's, yeah. Like, uh, Philip Haldeman, who plays Denny, is sort of, it seems sort of semi-homeless and a little crazy, you know, and they make a joke about the one actor replacing the other one when one gets thrown into a pool. He comes out as the other actor. Oh, that's funny. Uh, because the character replaced the other character. <laughs> that is funny. The only people not in it are Tommy and Greg because they're doing bigger and better things. You know, they're making a shark movie now. I saw that. It doesn't sound like that's going to be very good. I just hope it's not good in a accidental way and not a deliberate way. Right. I don't want another Sharknado. The movies that do it on purpose bug me, but movies where... Well, we'll see. I don't think I've seen the one you're going to be talking about on Friday, Walt, but so many movies that are made by like actual filmmakers or people who want to be filmmakers 
but they don't quite know what they're doing yet, or they speak a different language than a lot of their crew or whatever, and it comes across as like this translation error where you see they were trying something real, they knew what a movie was, and then they just failed at it. Right. Yeah. I yeah. I, I can I can get into those. And then there are some that they know are is gonna be, you know, from a production standpoint is not gonna be great. So they make the best of it, and yeah. maybe a good story or good acting will make up for some of it. But then you've just got crappy movies that nobody seemed to know what they were doing. Yep. For example, the movie <laughs> we're looking at right now. Uh, any other notes on the contents of this minute? Uh, no, and you had hit my last one with the big dented rail, I think, yeah. that we'll see in the next minute. Um, uh, trying to figure out where that came from. I do have notes from a midnight screening on this movie. Notes from a midnight screening. Specifically about second 28 when they start kissing again, because as Walter already pointed out, uh, Mark is out of the shot for a little while early in the minute. We get the sounds of like they're eating each other with the om, om, om. <laughs> and then as the camera follows Lisa's hand down Mark's back, people in the audience will chant, go, 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 go. <laughs> which, which they also do when the establishing shots of San Francisco have a moving camera. So they cheer for the camera. <laughs> And right at the end of the minute, there's a shot of Greg that's out of focus, and so you got to yell focus. Oh, that's great. That's great. Now, Walt, if our listeners would like to hear more of you, where could they do that? Yeah, hey, thanks. If uh, Yeah, if you want to hear more of me, I am uh, part of the podcast team for a podcast called The Wilder Ride. We are breaking down the movies of Gene Wilder, who uh, I've always been a big fan of, one minute at a time, and the... Movies by Minute format. We, in season one, did probably what is my still my favorite comedy, and that's Young Frankenstein. Uh, 106 episodes there. And then uh, this season we're, and by the time I guess this drops, we will have already wrapped up uh, the season of Blazing Saddles. And we're uh, now preparing for some Patreon-only stuff. And then um, next season we think we know what we're doing uh, as far as the movie goes, we know we don't know what we're doing with other stuff, but uh, we will start production for that late this year and uh, be ready to drop some in uh, 2020. And that you can find us at uh, thewilderride.com or uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash thewilderride. But it's not wrong when people make fun of the project, in this case, The Room. The Room Minute is a production of Lemming Drop Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Follow The Room Minute on all the obvious social media. If you've got any stupid comments after the show, you can leave them in your pocket on Facebook. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for listening. And remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Hello? Leave us! Say more than hello. Well, we can hear you. The problem is whether or not we can understand you. Or hear you. If you're talking. (laughs) (sighs) Best episode ever.